Hello and welcome to the fourth episode of One Immune Voice. This is a podcast on autoimmune and immune-mediated conditions brought to you by Janssen UK. My name is Claudia Hammond. I'm an author and broadcaster specialising in health and psychology. Now, in the last episode, we were talking about getting a diagnosis and what services are available for people. Today, we're going to talk much more about how to navigate the health system once you have a diagnosis. And I'm joined by two guests who have some really useful tips that might be of real use because it can be complicated getting the care you need. And we're going to hear firsthand from Angie, who has lupus, about her experiences. Our partners in One Immune Voice are six patient organisations, each focusing on different conditions caused by the malfunctioning of our immune systems. And today my guests are Alida Horn from Lupus UK and Dominic Ermston from the Sarasis Association. So welcome back, first of all, Dom. You've joined us before. How are you? I'm very well, thanks, Claudia. Good. And welcome for the first time to Alida. How has your day been so far? Good, thank you. Thanks very much for having me. Good. So Alida, can you tell us a little bit more about what your patient organisation does? Yeah, so I'm volunteer coordinator for Lupus UK. Lupus UK is the only national registered charity supporting people with lupus and discoid lupus, which is lupus that affects the skin, and assisting those who are approaching a diagnosis. We're a member organisation with 5,500 members currently, um, and we have a number of regional groups around the UK. We arrange medical talks published newsletters um, and local occasions in all of those groups. And we basically just try to support everybody as much as we can. We also involved in research and we um, sponsor specialist lupus nurses around the UK who are a great help to our, um, our membership. And what is lupus? Lupus is an autoimmune condition where the immune system kind of goes into overdrive and attacks healthy tissue. And what sort of symptoms can that give people? The two main common symptoms are chronic pain and fatigue. Um, It also brings with it brain fog, but it can attack any organ in the body. So the brain, the lungs, the heart, the kidneys, it's quite common for the kidneys to be affected. Unfortunately, because it has the ability to move throughout the system, it's a systemic disease, as the name would indicate. There's a separate type of lupus that can affect the skin as well. So unfortunately, it can affect just about everything. Yeah, so it really can have an impact on people. And Dom, as I said, you've been on the podcast before. Can you remind us about your organisation and what your work involves there? Yes, so the Psoriasis Association is the leading national charity and membership organisation for people who are affected by psoriasis in the UK. Uh, We were founded in 1968, so some time ago now, but we've always had the same three main aims, which are to provide information, advice and support to people who are living with psoriasis, to raise awareness of psoriasis, and that's amongst the general public, healthcare professionals and policymakers. And then we also fund and promote research into the causes, nature and care of psoriasis. And then we share the results of that research and publish the findings. Now, in the last episode, we heard how long it can take people to get a diagnosis. But once people do finally have that diagnosis and they know what it is that they have, Alida, what services can they expect to be able to use? Anybody who receives a a diagnosis of lupus will be referred to a rheumatologist. And depending on what other symptoms they're experiencing, they might be referred to um, a kidney unit or a dermatologist, it really depends. 
um, on what symptoms they are experiencing when they receive their diagnosis. And do people tend to have to wait a while for that or does it vary? It does vary. Um, around the country, we're, we're getting an anecdotal evidence. Um, some people, especially coming out of COVID, are having to wait a particularly long time. Others have, have not really seen too much of a, an issue even throughout COVID. So it does depend where you are. But generally, somebody will only have a rheumatology appointment once every six months. So it is key to make sure that you're, you're making the most of those appointments. Yes, I guess when you've not got those appointments that often, you really want to make sure that you get to ask everything you want, I suppose. Yes, absolutely. And preparing in advance of appointments is absolutely vital. What, making a list of the sorts of things you want to ask about? Yeah, making a list of the symptoms, new symptoms that you've experienced since the last appointment, the things that are most troublesome to you. It's sometimes a good idea to make a a list of your top three, if you like, um, the things that are bothering you. It can be quite useful to take somebody along with you. People with the lupus quite often experience brain fog, so it can be quite difficult to retain information. An appointment with with a specialist can be quite a stressful thing. So sometimes it can be useful to take a friend or a relative along with you who can make notes on your behalf or you know give their point of view about how you've been how you've been since the last appointment yeah and I guess if you forget something that you were going to ask they can bring that up for you as well that's it yeah and just that moral support and Dom what about if people have been diagnosed with psoriasis what sort of services can they expect after that what happens next so this will depend on um where they get the diagnosis, whether it's from their GP or whether they've already been referred to a specialist, so in this case, a dermatologist, before they get their diagnosis. Psoriasis is a a common condition, and so it it can be and frequently is diagnosed by a GP, in which case the treatment would start under the care of the GP, and that tends to be with uh, creams and ointments, some of which are moisturizers and emollients and others which contain more active ingredients. Um, However, There are many different conditions out there which affect the skin and a lot of the symptoms of these different conditions are similar. So it's not always the case that psoriasis is diagnosed by a GP and the GP may refer the individual onto a dermatologist where they get their diagnosis. If an individual is diagnosed by a dermatologist, then they can sometimes get access to different types of treatments earlier on. That could be things such as UV light therapy or different tablets or injection based treatments. And would it again be similar that people, if they are referred to a dermatologist, might have what appointments every six months? Yes. So the wait time for a a specialist appointment in many areas of the country, as the leader said, um, it's quite long at the moment. Prior to the pandemic, uh, we were already seeing people talking about six to nine month waits uh, from being referred from their GP to actually getting that specialist appointment. Since COVID, as you can imagine, those waits have have often uh, gone up. The key is when you get that appointment to make the most of it. And exactly as the leader said, then we would recommend making a list of questions that you have, that, that you kind of keep questions that you really want answered in those appointments because they can often be quite short. And also making a list of your symptoms, perhaps taking photos, particularly in the case of psoriasis, which is a visible condition, taking photos of your skin, particularly during flare up. So you can document that to your dermatologist when you get to see them. And then beyond that, the frequency of your appointments can really depend on things such as how severe your psoriasis is, but also the type of treatment that you're on. What about when people have a flare up? What sort of help can people get then? So when people have a flare up, I think you may 
depending on when your flare-up occurs, you may be under the care of a GP at that point, or you may already be under the care of a dermatologist. Either way, we would recommend getting in touch with your healthcare professional as soon as possible. The sooner that you can start an effective course of treatment to try and get that flare-up under control as quickly as possible, the better. Flare-ups can be unpredictable, so that's not always easy. And obviously, there's no guarantees as to how your psoriasis will respond. But generally speaking, the longer you leave it without treatment, then the worse the symptoms may get. And then that can have a further impact on your quality of life, your mental health. So, yeah, we'd certainly advise if you're under the care of a GP, go back and speak to your GP. Let them know your psoriasis is flaring and that obviously any treatments you have been using as a matter of routine to that point are not effective enough. And you might need to try something different or if your GP is at the limit of what they can provide you, then that's the kind of point where you, you'd like to perhaps ask for a referral to a dermatologist. And again, make your case, um, let your GP know, uh, not just about the physical symptoms, but how your condition is impacting your day-to-day life, as that's vitally important. Yeah, so it's all about how, how it is affecting you. And a leader, everyone is different, of course, but in your experience, how do people tend to cope post-diagnosis when they've finally found out what is the problem for them? Um, it's quite interesting. Some people are relieved. Um, currently, the average time from onset of symptoms to diagnosis in the UK is six years for lupus. So people can have spent a very long time trying to figure out what's wrong with them. So sometimes it can be a relief. It's always um, a life-changing moment because it's a chronic condition that you're always going to have to deal with going forward. As to how people cope with the diagnosis, it can depend on how the severity of their symptoms, clearly, but also the support network that they have, friends and family, whether they're supportive of them, whether they try to understand what's going on for, for the person who's received the diagnosis. I think my advice would be to reach out to an organisation such as Lupus UK, you know, whichever patient organisation it is, and ask for some support ask if you can be put in touch with somebody because it's quite an isolating thing to be given a diagnosis such as this so just speaking to somebody else who's gone through a similar situation it it really can help and as Don mentioned from a mental health point of view as well that, that you know we really need to be taking care of that as well as the physical health yes Don what advice would you give to people when they're trying to deal with the fact that they've just had a diagnosis I think the point that a leader made was really interesting. If people have been living with their condition for a long time, they've had symptoms, but they've not known what it is, then getting that diagnosis can be actually a relief and kind of a catalyst then to go on to, to allow them to find the support and seek the treatment that they need to help get their condition under control or to at least manageable. On the flip side with psoriasis, we also see um, the opposite. Psoriasis can sometimes come on almost overnight someone can have had clear skin for years and then they they wake up one morning they have some kind of rash and then maybe a few days later the symptoms are worse and so in that person's case then the diagnosis can perhaps come as a bit of a shock and then to be told that you have psoriasis and then to be told it's a a long-term condition that you're going to live with for the rest of your life to some extent can be a real difficult thing to take in and so exactly as the leader said I think The key for us is healthcare professionals letting people know that these patient support organisations such as ourselves and Lupus UK exist and that they can be used at all times for information, support, to connect with other people who are living with a condition. Because I think when people are first diagnosed, that's when you can often feel most alone. Not everybody knows somebody else 
in their family or friends or, or work colleagues who lives with their condition or another immune mediated or autoimmune condition. So being able to connect with a, a patient organization who might have offerings such as peer-to-peer support forums, Facebook groups, where you can then chat to other people who have been in your position and who understand. I think that's really, really valuable. And of course, although everyone's experience is unique, it can be really useful to to not feel alone by hearing other people's stories. So let's have a listen to Angie, who was diagnosed with lupus 21 years ago. I just had my son um, and he was born and I found out I had deep vein thrombosis. And I'd been in hospital for a week. I came out, very hormonal, quite a difficult, challenging time. And then they tested my blood and they found out I had lupus. And so it was really difficult. They just said, oh, you've got lupus. I hadn't any idea what lupus was. I was very worried. So, yeah, it was a little bit of a scary time. I received the leaflet and the leaflet was a standard leaflet. And I had a little chat with a doctor And that was it. And then they said they would refer me to the rheumatologist. After my diagnosis of lupus, I went to the doctor. And although they provided some information which was useful, a lot of the information I had to research myself. And that I now know I can refer myself to for counselling. And you can refer yourself for physiotherapy. The doctor will need to refer you to a dietitian. And so some of that information I found out from forums, from Lupus UK, and I think that is really important to know. Your appointment is often quite quick that you have with a consultant. So it's really making the most of that time. So you may only see them twice a year. So what can you do in that appointment to make the most of it? Can you keep a diary of your symptoms? Can you look at what causes triggers? Can you talk to them about your symptoms and really making the most of those appointments? The one thing that I would have really liked is being able to talk to either some rheumatologist nurses or the team and just to be able to go in and talk to somebody, especially after COVID, people are waiting for up to six months. And this can be scary and people do need support. And I think rheumatologist nurses are brilliant. They really can provide you with a lot of advice and just reassurance. Now, some really good tips there from Angie. But Alida, what timing for Angie to discover she has lupus when she just had a newborn baby? Yeah, it's not unusual, actually. Um, One of the known causes of lupus is hormonal changes. So either having a baby during the menopause, something along those lines, it can be a trigger, um, along with many other things. So it's not unusual for somebody to find they have lupus at that particular time. But clearly a really difficult time for her and what did you make of the tips and advice that that she had there excellent this is exactly why support groups are so important because somebody who's 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 been through that process if she was talking to someone and hopefully there are people listening to this podcast who have just been diagnosed and just by listening to that very short clip they will now have a sense of what they can do to take control of their situation because receiving a diagnosis along these lines you just suddenly feel like you have no control that's one of the scariest things so just having a few practical tips like that of where to go to get help the fact that you can do things for yourself because to 
just having some say in what happens and how your condition is dealt with can give you back some of that sense of yourself because suddenly you feel like you're not the person that you were and being able to actually do things for yourself to make your situation better is invaluable from a physical and a mental health point of view. Tom, it sounds as though for Angie, it was quite hard for her to find out, you know, what her diagnosis really meant and that she was having to research it herself, really, to work out what it meant for now and for the future. Is that something you hear sometimes with the conditions you look at? Yeah, yeah, it is. Unfortunately, we do find a lot of people are told that they have psoriasis or psoriatic arthritis, but perhaps come away from their appointments not not really fully understanding what that means, both in terms of what the condition actually is, how it affects their body, but also how it may affect, uh, impact their lives. And I think one thing I'd take away from, from Angie's experience is that the way um, the diagnosis is communicated in the first instance is really, really important. I think it's um, important that it's communicated sensitively, that, for example, it's not just you have condition X, off you go. I think it needs to be, you know, more than that, but also that time is taken to explain to the individual um, exactly what's going on with their body how this may impact their life uh, because we're talking about chronic conditions here people um, are going to live with the symptoms for the course of their lifetime to some extent but also where to find that that good quality information um, and she obviously had to do a lot of research herself um, as a leader said you know there's a wealth of information that's available through patient support groups and being signposted to us uh, in that initial appointment when the diagnosis is first made, I think can be really helpful for, for people because they immediately have somewhere where they can go to after their appointment uh, to look up further information and to access that crucial help and support. And Alida, we sometimes hear the phrase best practice and with a stretched healthcare system, it's, it's not always what people get, but what would that look like? What would be the ideal? Well, from a lupus perspective, because there are so many different specialisms that can be involved, we would like to see specialist lupus clinics. There are some, and the Lupus UK Centres of Excellence do tend to have these where a somebody who has a diagnosis can attend a clinic and be able to see a dermatologist, a rheumatologist, a physio, all in the same clinic, rather than repeatedly going backwards and forwards to different hospital appointments, which has a knock-on effect um, of causing additional stress. Um, I myself suffer from um, three or four autoimmune conditions, and I'm currently under five different specialisms at the hospital. And if I could go to a, a specialist lupus clinic where I could be seen by all those people in one go, in one clinic, that that is best practice to our mind. So you have appointments all at different times, presumably, different days, different places? Different days, different times, different hospitals. Um, yeah, and I, I, fortunately, I work for Lupus UK. They understand that this is what I need to do to keep myself healthy. But unfortunately, not everybody is, is lucky enough to work for a patient organisation that supports people who have similar conditions to myself. And it, it just compounds the, the, the stress and the concern that goes all around it. What else would you say that best practice looks like, Dom? I think just to, to reinforce the leader's point there, then different specialties uh, communicating well, people with psoriasis, uh, in fact, people with with different kinds of um, immune-mediated or autoimmune conditions often live with more than one immune-mediated or autoimmune condition, which means they will be seeing uh, different specialists. And 
it's important to be able to, to treat the whole person and give them the best, most personalised care that those specialists can communicate effectively. You might even, for somebody who has psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis, for example, they might be taking a medication which helps with both conditions, but they might still be seeing two separate specialists and it's important that they, they communicate. And we also, I think a big part of um, kind of this, this joined up working we all want to see with different specialists um, working together is also the involvement of psychologists and people with mental health expertise more and more because a lot of people with different types of immune mediated or autoimmune condition find that their condition impacts their, their mental health impacts their life in all kinds of ways and so to be able to tap into that when you see your specialist would be really really valuable addition I think. And there was lots of useful information about mental health in, in the first two podcasts in this series as well and is it the case though Don that sometimes there is this joined up working if you like? Yes, yes, there is. There are some, um, I guess we call them centres of excellence at different areas of the country. And these are in different places for different conditions. I guess the, the real challenge is trying to, to roll those kind of structures out more widely um, so that that standard of care is not a kind of postcode lottery, but it's available to people wherever they live in the country. And thinking about the patient groups that people can get support from, Alida, I wonder whether patient groups do more different things than people sometimes realise, that it's more than just information, if you like. Oh, absolutely. I think I mentioned earlier about the the support groups that we have around the country. We have volunteers who have lupus themselves, who volunteer their time to create what we call coffee and chat groups it's part of my role to to develop our our reach across the UK with these groups and people with a diagnosis can come to these groups they can talk to people who have a similar diagnosis who have had that diagnosis for a very long time and have kind of been there done that and and pretty much give an answer to all their queries and where the health service is so stretched and the appointments with consultants are so very short and you can only really deal with the medical side of it when you see one of your consultants that everything else the peripheral side of these conditions the mental health the social aspect the, the just everything else it will impact every part of your life so support groups are the place that you can go you can sit and you can talk to somebody who's not in your family or your friend group who understands what's going on and it's, it's almost like a kind of therapy because you don't have to worry what you're saying to someone you don't have to worry that you're going to frighten them because I think we all know that when we're not feeling very well we don't necessarily tell our loved ones exactly how we're feeling because we don't want to worry them but support groups are the place that you can go and you can really tell it like it is and receive some support and even the understanding can have a a really positive impact. Have you seen the impact that they can have on people these groups? Absolutely I was with one of my groups just recently and um, a lady came who had literally just received a diagnosis had no idea what lupus was friends and family didn't understand she was going through the whole grieving process she was feeling angry she was kind of in denial and she sat there and and she had about eight people sitting around her and she was telling her story and talking about what she was going through and every head in that group was nodding and she suddenly stopped and she said I cannot believe that I'm sitting here and the people that I'm talking to are nodding and understanding what I'm saying because up until now the only thing I've seen on people's faces is a completely blank look and that included her GP 
and it's that impact is huge I've had a, I've had emails from her since she's joining another group tomorrow and it's it has it's made a really massive impact she was feeling completely lost and alone before she she sat down and had a chat with us over a coffee and when she left she had a smile on her face and that that is such a privilege to see Yes, you can see why that would make a difference to, to suddenly be with people who do understand and who, who, who know what she's talking about, if you like. And Dom, do you have any other tips for people to make things a bit easier while they're trying to navigate the healthcare system and work out you know, what appointments they've got where and so on? I, I think, as, um, as the leader said, then uh, getting in touch with a, a patient support group to find out what information is available and what resources they have to, to help make your life easier in that respect is, is key. And also, again, peer-to-peer support. Um, we run online forums on our website. We have a Facebook group where people can then connect to other people who who understand, who have been through similar situations themselves. And then uh, practical tips can be passed from person to person about experiences of navigating the, the healthcare system, the, the quirks of the NHS and the way it works. Um, sometimes there's, there's no better advice than that that comes from people who've already been there and done it. We also have, we've developed um, some, some tips resources that we share to our supporters and our members, um, one of which is a tips resource for preparing for virtual consultations. Obviously, we know since COVID, then we've had this rapid acceleration in the move towards more telephone and video appointments. And this is something that a lot of people weren't used to just a few years ago. So even using the technology and figuring out how to get the most out of your appointments can be can be really difficult. So um, we put this tips resource together with input from people who are living with psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis and also healthcare professionals so that people can both prepare for those appointments um, as best they can, but also once the appointment starts, they can get the most out of them. And that goes even down to things like preparing the technology um, and familiarising yourself with the, the kind of technology you'll need to get the most out of a phone or video appointment. That's really interesting. So do you think even once the appointment is, has got going, you need to approach it slightly differently from if you were in the room with them? Absolutely. So things such as depending on whether whether you're on the phone or even if you're on a video, there's, there's going to be restrictions on what the healthcare professional can actually see. And when you're dealing with a, a visible condition like psoriasis, that can be really key. So ensuring that you have good lighting, for example, you may even want to have something like a, a tape measure with you so that if you want to show your healthcare professional the size of like the, the psoriatic plaque on your skin, then you can do that and give them some context. But also making sure that you you're perhaps sat somewhere with with good Wi-Fi that it's quiet so you're not going to get interrupted. These are all things to bear in mind with um, virtual appointments that you wouldn't necessarily have had to think about with face to face. I like the tape measure tip. That's a good one. Um, and before we go, Alida, are there any other tips you would give people on how to how to navigate the system and, and get the best care? I think I would echo everything that Dom said. I mean that he's given some really good advice. Keeping notes, I think, is really important. So either making notes while you're in the appointment or writing yourself some notes when you come home and just keeping sort of like a, 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 a diary of the different appointments that you've had, keeping a diary in between appointments of when things get worse or if, the, if something is working and things are improving during that time. I cannot stress enough how important it is just to be prepared we, we go into a medical appointment and we tend to think that 
the doctor is going to run the appointment. But the bottom line is, it's it's for the patient to you know to get what they need from that appointment. So my advice would be to set yourself some goals of what you want to achieve when you're going in to see whichever consultant or doctor it is, and before you leave that appointment double check your list and make sure you've achieved the goals that you wanted to achieve while you were in there that's true isn't it we go into any appointment and we and we sit there and sort of wait for them to take charge in a way yeah but it's our appointment and I don't know why very true well thank you very much for all of those tips and I hope this has been useful in understanding how the system works and where you can get more support for that that is all we have time for for this episode but thank you so much to Alida Horn from Lupus UK and Dominic Ermston from the Sarasis Association and of course our thanks to Angie as well for sharing her experiences with us and thank you for listening now in the next episode of One Immune Voice we'll be talking about something known as supported self-management what you can do at different times to make life with your condition a little easier so do look out for that i'm claudia hammond bye for now and if you found this useful don't forget you can like share and subscribe to one immune voice on whichever platform you use One Immune Voice is a podcast series initiated and funded by Janssen UK. All participants have been reimbursed for their time. The views, information or opinions expressed during One Immune Voice are solely those of the contributors and do not represent the views of Janssen UK. The primary purpose of One Immune Voice is to educate and inform. It is not a substitute for professional diagnosis or treatment. Listeners should contact their prescribing physician if they have any concerns about their treatment.